So how many of you have uh, gone through the last few months and experienced um, any, any kind of difficult circumstances or situation in your life? Anybody? Yeah, probably we can all raise our hands, two hands, exactly, right? We, everybody, every one of us goes through difficult circumstances. We go through hard times. What, what oftentimes the Bible says is, is trials or tribulations or, or periods of testing or, or even just come right, let's come out and say it, pain and suffering. Um, what do we do? How do we respond to those moments? If you're like me, you hit those moments of your life and you start really, you start focusing inward. You start focusing on your problems, your situation, your own particular circumstance. You start focusing on yourself. And you may say some things like, I need to get some me time. Or I need to focus on my own stuff right now. I need to get my stuff together. Or maybe if you listen to the world long enough, you'll hear things like, your problem is really because you're, you don't believe in yourself. Or because you're trying to please other people and you need to start pleasing yourself a little bit. And so if you were to go to see uh, a lot of counselors or therapists, they might tell you something like that. You need to get your needs met. You need to focus on yourself for a while and let all of those other things go. The only problem with that advice is that it's not gospel advice. And we don't see that coming to us from the pages of Scripture. In fact, we see the encouragement to look outward, to look to others, to look to the community of faith around us, to when we encounter the difficulties of life, that we run to community and not away from it. Let's look today in Philippians at the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And in that passage, I want us to see an answer to the self-interest, the self-focus, the self-ishness that we're all prone to do, we're all prone to get into and see that there's another way to think. There's another way to be. So, let's look at this Philippians chapter 2. Uh, turn in your Bibles there or in your devices. You can certainly follow along with the, on the screen. But you may want to have that available for you because we're going to look in detail at some of these, these verses in just a moment. So follow along with me as I read it aloud. Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that in, this, in these next uh, moments that we have together, that you will give us insight, uh, the kind of insight that we cannot get on our own. We cannot get it just by learning some, some specialized uh, study methods. Uh, we can't get it um, just by reading books about the Bible. But we can get it because your Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Because you, God, are teaching us and giving us understanding. So we ask that you will do that today for us, through your Spirit. Help us to understand what you would have us to understand. Help us to see what you would have us to see today. And to do what you would have us to do. To be not only hearers of the word, but doers as well. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Here's the big idea today for us. And uh, I'm going to refer back to the gospel during this um, message today because it's all built on what Paul has said about the gospel up until this point. But the big idea is this, that the gospel makes many people into one community, okay? Many people into one community so that all believers in one community may experience joy in thinking the same. Okay, now that's a long statement. It's two large or long clauses with several phrases, okay? So I don't expect you to walk away from here memorizing that. That's why it's printed on the backside of your bulletin. So you'll actually have something to take with you. But it's full of meaning. It's about taking all of these different people with their different interests and their different issues and problems and different uh, desires and strengths and weaknesses even, bringing them together as into one community. Why? So that as, as one community, every single one of us can experience the joy of thinking the same. So when I told my wife this, I said, this is my title. This is the title of my message this week. Uh, she said, um... What do you mean by thinking the same? And I said, well, that's what the message is all about. We're going to find out what thinking the same means. Because I hope that you're thinking, what does he mean? Do we all need to become Democrats or all need to become Republicans? Or do we all need to be um, this way or that way? Or no, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, But let's find out what joy in thinking the same is actually all about, okay? So, the first thing that we see here, and I want to point out to you, is that in the gospel, we experience joy in thinking the same about God. Thinking the same about God. Okay, this is, this is Christianity 101. This is real basic stuff. That when we think the same about God, about who He is, about what He has done... In other words, we come to God's Word and we base our thinking and on God's Word and what He has shown us in His Word, what He's revealed to us about Himself in, in His Word. We will experience great joy in that. We'll experience great joy in that. 
Look, at, look with me at a few phrases here in, in this first verse of chapter 2. He says, so. Uh, so, meaning, uh, because of what I've just said, uh, in case you missed some of the implications of what I just said about the gospel of Christ and how we ought to live worthy of that gospel as citizens of heaven, that we ought to be in one spirit, that we ought to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel, and that the gospel helps us not to be frightened by the people who don't think the same way as us, who are not of the same mind as us, um, that, but that we can think the same way in terms of our faith, in terms of who we are, and that we can suffer for Christ, that we can engage in the same conflict um, with one another. We can do all of those things. And because of that, and since we have that, then let's go on to some, some other implications. Let's live out what it means to be uh, living worthy of the gospel. Let's get specific. And so he's, he begins to get specific here. Okay? So he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ. And that word if, in the original uh, language, is repeated for every phrase in, in verse 1. If any encouragement in Christ. If any comfort from love. If any participation in the Spirit. If any affection and sympathy. And we might say, okay... If that is possible, do you think that was true of and possible for the Philippians? Do you think that's true? Is that possible for you? Is it possible for us today? And Paul's usage of this little word, if, is really maybe better translated or better thought of as since. Because he's telling them something about their reality about what is true, about what they believe about God and what they think about God. He's saying, this is true about you. We do have encouragement in Christ. We do have comfort from love. We do have participation in the Spirit. We do have affection and sympathy that is, is rooted in those three things. We have those together because we're in Christ. That is our reality and the reality of Christ is that there is a Trinitarian view of God. The reality or the, the thinking about God that we're supposed to engage in is a Trinitarian thinking about God. What do I need, mean by Trinitarian? The word Trinity means three. <laughs> it be, well, it doesn't just mean three, but it, it has its root in this this idea of threeness, that there's three persons in God, that there is God the Father, there is God the Son, there is God the Holy Spirit. And so look with me at these first three phrases that Paul uses. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, this is not the kind of encouragement of, of go get Him, you can do it. And he's not saying that Christ is up there being our cheerleader for us. He's saying that Christ has come down to us to walk with us. That is the kind of encouragement that he's talking about. This word in the original language is a word of coming alongside somebody. So you could imagine, imagine you're on a difficult hike. You're on a difficult 
journey. You're on an adventure and you're going hiking and camping and you're going to have a multi-day journey. And, and something happens to you. You slip off the, the, the trail and you tumble down uh, the side of the mountains and you end up lying there with a broken ankle. It would do no good for your traveling companion to say, you can do it. Rah, rah, rah. I believe in you. You need to believe in yourself. That's not what he's talking about. That's not encouragement. That would be very discouraging, would it not? No. But Jesus comes down on the side of the mountain and picks us up and helps us back up. And, and in, with his arm around you and your arm around him, he is going to help you back to the nearest aid station where you can get the help you need. That's the kind, of, the kind of encouragement, the kind of comfort that comes from Christ. He walks beside us. He stands beside us. He helps us through our difficulties. Any comfort from love? Comfort from love, you may go, okay, you said Trinity, I see Christ here, I see Spirit here, but comfort from love, where is this God, where is the Heavenly Father in this? And I think that's exactly where it's at. In Paul's mind, in his thinking, he doesn't even have to mention theos. He doesn't have to mention God in this phrase because comfort from love, he's assuming that the Philippians are going to know that what he means by love is the love that comes from God. And this is a love that, that is rooted in God and his nature and who he is. And so there's great comfort knowing that God is a God who always does what is good and right and perfect. A God who is holy, yet a God who is love, a God who gives mercy and grace. His holiness causes us, uh, causes us to be separated from Him because we are not holy. But yet He loves us so much because He created us in His image to love Him and to be His image bearers in the world. And so He loves us. And so there is a comfort for us. There is, a, there is something that, that puts our hearts and minds at peace, knowing that we are loved by our Heavenly Father. That even though our sins deserve separation from Him, He loves us. He loves us. He wants a relationship with us. Any participation in the Spirit? He says, comes right out and says, participation in the Spirit. We get to the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And he uses this word participation, which he has already used in, in, the, in the letter so far. When he said back in, uh, let me see, let me find where that's at. In, back in chapter 1, verse 5, he talks about partnership partnership in the gospel. He is using the exact same word that here is translated participation. It's that word. It's a beautiful Greek word that's koinonia. It's fellowship. And it's not just hanging out together and eating food together and um, playing games together or whatever. You, whatever you might think of as fellowship. It is partnership. It is participation. It is sharing together. And he says, we share, we partner with, we have fellowship together in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who comes to us. 
to give us what we cannot get on our own. Understanding, insight, a, 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 a connection with one another that would be highly unlikely outside of what we have in the triune God. Think about the diversity that's among us today. Think about the diversity that we have just in this room. In age, in background, in interests. There are some things that you guys are interested in that in my flesh... I could care less about. <laughs> so I'm being really transparent with you. And the same goes for you and me, right? I mean, there's some things that I'm, if I, I said, oh, I love this, I am interested in that, and your eyes just glaze over when I talk about them, and you start thinking of uh, an exit, you look for the door, you, uh, let me get out of here, because I don't have any interest in that. Yet, in Christ, in the Father, in the Spirit, when we think about God in the same way, there is great joy when we are together. There is great joy in that. And he says it and he, and he, in the last phrase, any affection and sympathy. So what is it that causes us to have affection for one another? What is it that causes us to sympathize with one another when we're going through what we go through? When you have a care about something that I don't have a care about. But yet, something within me is drawn to that. Or is drawn to you. And we sympathize with one another. And we, 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 we begin to love one another. We begin to think up with one another. Or think about one another with compassion. It's the triune God at work in us. That's what enables us to... To, have, uh, to encourage one another, to comfort one another, to fellowship with one another the same way that God has done that for us in His triune perfection. Isn't that beautiful? How about you? It's worth thinking about. What about the things that we go through? What about the things that you're experiencing? What about the things that the people in your community or your, your missional community or your discipleship group or just just in your relationships within the the body of Christ what about the things that they are going through we think the same way about God in Christ and the Father and the Spirit and he's going to discuss in more detail as he goes through the rest of this letter about who Christ is, what He has done about the Heavenly Father. And we've already seen much about the Spirit, and we'll see more as well. Can we root our affection and sympathy in what we think the same about God? Let's do that together, shall we? But look at what that turns us to. Because you see, I mean, the first point here is, is straightforward, but the second point is built right on top of the other one. In fact, it's, it's like he's, re, he's like making his point over and over. But go with me to verse 2, and, and let's look at that and see how in the gospel we experience joy in thinking the same about community. 
The same about community. I use that word. I don't use it lightly because I think it's a very powerful word. It's something that we all desire. We, in other words, we want to belong. We want to belong with, uh, with others who think the same as we do. And so, if, I, if you don't mind me pointing it out, we have one person in here this morning who is identifying with Slytherin. Okay? Identifying with Harry Potter. Identifying with a world of imagination and wonder and magic. And, and that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a community to belong to in a lot of ways. Oh, we have somebody in here. Don't everyone look. Who loves the Sounders? And that's a community to belong to. It's it is sports teams are our Sounders and our Seahawks and I, I I could I have my water bottle back there with a couple of stickers on so I got my I've got my my Seattle Mariners and I've even got my Seattle Sonics and some of you young ones are going what are what's that what's the Sonics yes it's heartbreaking we don't want to talk about the Sonics but. We, we, we find those things to belong to. That's a community. We, we belong to that. We love the same things. And, we, and we, so we, we gather together and we rejoice in the same things and we cheer in the same things. And that's a natural longing. We all want community. Okay? And Paul is pointing out to the Philippians the reality of their community that's based on and rooted in who God is and is rooted in the gospel what Jesus has done for them. So, he gets to his main idea, his main point in this verse. And that's why the word joy continues to pop up in each of these ideas, each of these main ideas. And, in, and, and it's this that he says, complete my joy or make my joy full. Oh, man, I, I love this phrase. <clears throat> but then, here's the thing. Has anybody ever said to you, I want you to do something to make me happy? <laughs> Has that ever been the basis for a request? Has that ever been the main... Would you just make, my, make me more joyful? And that's in a, in a sense what he's saying. It's a command. He's telling them, complete my joy. The word complete has this idea of fullness. He wants his joy to be full. That's an odd request, don't you think? Especially one in which, in just a moment, he says, he says, stop thinking of yourselves and think about others and put their needs above your own, their interests above your own. And then, yet, the whole time he's saying, complete my joy. It's all, everything around, everything in, this, in, this, in these four verses, one long sentence in the original language is all pointing back to this idea, this, this short phrase, this, this clause, complete my joy. So I thought about that, and other people have thought about that too. Other pretty smart people have thought about that, and have wondered what Paul was getting at. And I think it's this, that he knows nothing on earth will make him as happy as when Others are thinking the same about one another. Thinking the same about community. That's, and, and what that means is not 
something that's going to make Paul look good. It's not something that's going to give Paul or put him up on a pedestal. It's not something that's going to, going to uh, uh, create all of their thoughts and their interests and their focus on him. Because remember, he said back in the previous chapter that I am, I am convinced that I'm going to remain and continue with, all, with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may glory in me. No, he actually didn't say that. He didn't say that, okay? So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. To boast in Christ Jesus. To have your testimony be about Christ Jesus. So your conversation is about Christ Jesus. You don't even think about Paul. But because Paul came to them, your glory of Christ Jesus has 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 increased. And, he, and, he's, and he's saying the same kind of thing here. This right here in verse 2 is the heart of a pastor. The heart of a shepherd. The heart of one who has no greater joy, as John said, than to see that my children, my children in the faith, are walking with the Lord. There's no greater joy than that. For one who leads people to Christ who says, come and see, come and, and experience the joy of salvation in Christ Jesus. And let me help you walk in that. Let me help you grow in that. And so he is all concerned, his joy is all about having them think the same about community. Because he says it in the very next phrase, by being of the same mind. Here we go. Here we see this phrase, the same mind. And it literally would be translated as thinking the same. But not in the way that we think about it. <laughs> not in the way that we would think the, the same about politics or the same about religion or the same about every, every little extended doctrine that ex, implied and comes out of the Scripture. Not to think the same way about music. Not to think the same way about how we organize the church. Not to, th not to think the same way about our homes and about how we raise our children. None of those things is what he's trying to get at. None of those things are the things he's talking about thinking the same way. What he's referring to is an attitude, an opinion about the things that matter most. Because he goes on to say, and these other, these other phrases qualify that, being of the same mind or thinking the same, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So he uses the, the word mind comes back a couple of times here. But he's, it, all of this has to do with what it means to be one community. Many people, one community. All believers in one community thinking the same in joy or with joy. Having the same love. This is the love that God gives each and every one of us. And because He loves us first, we love others. And we love one another. He says being in full accord. This is about um, a, a unity that comes um, from, from having that oneness in Christ. And then this having one mind. And, and, and here he's, he's, he's using a slightly different word. Instead of the same, he says one. 
And he's pointing out the unity that there is in the community. You heard from, you heard the scripture reading. Bill read the scripture from John 17. And in that passage, uh, in the chapter 17 of John, remember that John is, is recording Jesus' prayer. Jesus prayed about himself. He said, God, you glorify me that I can glorify you, that I can bring eternal life to all those whom you have given me. And then he says, speaking of that, let's pray for the ones, let me pray for the ones whom you have given me, his disciples, his followers, those who were on earth following him. And he prayed for them that they would continue in, in his name, that they would continue in knowledge of him and then that they would be one and that they would that oneness would drive them to mission that they would be sent just as he was sent into the world but then guess what jesus didn't stop there he didn't just pray for the, his disciples he prayed for you and for me he said i'm not just praying for them but i'm praying for those who will believe because of their testimony because the disciples were going to bear witness. Because the disciples were going to tell others about Jesus. And those people were going to hear and they were going to learn what the disciples learned and they were going to learn what Jesus did and, and taught and they were going to learn how to study the Scriptures and then they were going to tell other people and on and on and 2,000 years later, here we are in this place today because Jesus prayed for you. And He prayed for me. And what did He pray that we would be one, one, as He is one with the Father. As the Trinity is one. As the Trinity has this perfect community, loving one another, sharing together, God, the Father, Son, Spirit. He wants that for us. And that is what Paul is asking the Philippians to, to do, to be, to have. Get your minds right about this. Think the same way about community. Love one another. Stop, stop, stop trying to do it on your own. When you are facing trials, and they were, remember, there were people coming against them. There were opponents who had the potential to frighten them. And Paul said, because you're not frightened, because you're holding on to the gospel, and you're striving side by side in one spirit with one mind, he said that last week in verses 27 to 30, and we're seeing it again this week, the same ideas, but they had plenty of things to be frightened about. They were suffering. They were agonizing. They were in conflict. They were wrestling and striving for the sake of the gospel. Things were difficult for the Philippians. Things are difficult for us. They will always be difficult for us as we seek to follow God. There is no, there is no grass on the other side of the fence that's greener. It looks that way. It's like the mirage in the desert as we're driving through arid places and you see, ah, what it looks like there's water up there. It's not. It's a mirage or it's a hallucination. We think it's going to be better and then we end up that we're making mud pies in the slums because we can't understand what God means by a holiday at the sea which is Christ, the illustration of desiring and loving and wanting Christ and wanting what He offers to us in community. This is what 
causes people to go from place to place, from church to church, looking for something different, something better, something that's going to make them feel better about themselves. Because they haven't thought the same way about community, about being together, about sharing life together, about crying together, mourning together, about laughing together, yes, and eating and fellowshipping in that sense together, about witnessing together, sharing the gospel with others together, and not on our own, about serving together. And we have a great example of that coming up, where we're not just, it's not the Malones, it's our community that is doing a, uh, uh, what is it, bonfire block party. A chance for us to come together and serve our community, to be generous to our community, not just for fun, but to do something that's going to bless the children of our schools significantly through the winter months. We do that kind of thing together in community. We think the same about community and what joy there is in that. I've seen it. I've seen how we as a church have come together here and there throughout our lives, throughout our life as the River Church. And I've seen the joy that comes from us coming together and studying God's Word together and worshiping and serving together. And if I may, if I may borrow from Paul, and it is my prayer that this kind of love, the love in community, your love may abound more and more. That's what he's urging them here. Community. The last two verses go, go really well together, and, and they make this point. In the gospel, we experience joy in thinking the same about others. Do you see how this builds? How each idea is almost a, it's a partner with the previous one. There's not a whole lot of difference between uh, thinking uh, the way we think about God and the implications of how we think about God and community and how we think about community. And there's, there's not a whole lot of difference between the way we think about community and the way we think about others, except that Paul makes a, a pretty stark contrast between the way we could think and the, and the way we could experience community with others and the way we should. And here is where he says it. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In other words, you have God, you think the same about God, you have community and you're thinking the same about what it means to be a church, about what it means to be in community and that it's not just a weekly, uh, a Sunday morning event, but it's a life together. And because of that, and extending from that, the way you ought to live with one another is not from selfish ambition. Not selfish ambition. Oh, that word's pretty powerful. It's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a, uh, <clears throat> a loaded word, and he's already used it in referring to those who are preaching Christ from selfish ambition, who are opponents of Paul in a, in a sense, 
But here he's saying, don't be like that. Don't be like the people that I've experienced who are my opponents, even those who are claiming to preach and teach God, preach the gospel and preach Christ. This selfish ambition, Gordon Fee, a commentator on this passage, uh, referred to selfish ambition as the heart of human fallenness. It's at the very root of human fallenness. In fact, the Bible goes so far as to to explain the whole of Christian or excuse me, the whole of humanity's problems being rooted in selfish ambition. Back up with me a few thousand years to the very beginning when Adam and Eve were in the garden. What was it that enticed Eve to take that fruit? What was it? It was the enticement. It was the lie of the enemy, the serpent, saying, if you will take this fruit, you can be like God. You can know between good and evil. And that's going to make you better. He tapped in to something that's, that's in us. A desire, an ambition for self-actualization. And she sinned. And Adam sinned. It's at the root, it's at the heart, as Fee said, of human fallenness. We saw that with Cain and Abel. What happened with Cain and Abel? You remember the story? The two sons of Adam and Eve. Cain and his brother Abel. And they both bring something to offer to God. Abel, the best of his flock. Cain, it says he brought some of his produce, his fruit. He, he, he took care of the orchards or the fields and the, the, that kind of a thing while Abel took care of the animals and the flocks and the herds. They each brought something to God. And, and over the course of the story, Cain is resentful of how Abel was praised for his offering. And he said, I don't want... I don't want that to be the case. I want God to, ex- to lift me up. I want God to exalt me. I want to be recognized. So, I'll get rid of my brother. And then God will have no, no choice but to recognize me because I'll be the only one left. So he kills his brother. It's at the heart of human fallenness. Now we may go and say, well, I haven't eaten from a forbidden tree. Really? What are those things that God has said not to do, not to think? What are those attitudes God says are are inconsistent with my ways and who I am? We've all eaten from the tree. (laughs) We've all tasted what is forbidden. And but we would say, oh but well, okay, maybe that's true, but I've never killed somebody, I've especially not my brother. And we say, well, where in your heart have you harbored bitterness? Have you harbored anger? Oh, we've all done it. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, oh, 5, chapter 5, that if you've been angry in your heart towards your brother, it's as if you've murdered him. You're guilty of murder. And Paul is saying, don't think like that. Don't think like that about others. Selfish ambition. 
or conceit, he says. Oh, and this is another uh, rich word. It's vain. Some, some translations uh, translated as vain conceit. In other words, it's empty glory. Empty glory. Don't do things from empty glory. The kind of, that's saying, look at me. Look at me. Am, aren't I wonderful? Paul has already, already explained and, and shown that that's not how I want you to think about me. I don't want glory. I want Christ to have glory. I want you to boast in Him, not in me. Is, there's no room for empty glory in the community. But what did he say? In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In humility. This word, we all have an idea of what humility means and we usually think of it in terms of really abject and maybe not looking, you know, maybe not looking put together or, or not having your chest puffed up or your chin out or, or whatever. Really, the idea in the Bible about humility is lowliness. Being low. Lower than. <laughs> if we're more humble than somebody else, we are lower than. You can imagine the... Uh, you could imagine ancient Near East or, or ancient civilizations when, when the, the subject would come before his king. And the king was always sitting up higher than all the rest. And the subject would bow before the king. And there would be some people who would bow at the waist. And there would some people, there'd be some people who would kneel. And then there would be those people who were so humble and so beneath the king that they would completely prostrate themselves on the ground before the great one. And that is how we are before our Creator. The, the idea of humility in the Bible is lowliness. It's creatureliness. It's understanding that we are just a created being before our great Creator God. That's who we are. So how dare we think of ourselves as greater than our brothers? as greater than others around us, as, as counting ourselves more significant than others. He says, do the opposite. In humility, count one another. Count others more significant than yourselves. Think of them more significant. The, the idea of count is, is to, to, to take an account of, to set up a ledger book, and to see that uh, here are all of the wonderful things about the people around me. Here's how I am going to think high, more highly of them than of myself. And that demonstrates true humility as we think about others. Then he says, verse 4, and this is just a continuation of a long sentence, but it's phrased here as another command. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We are going to have to... We, everyone lo looks out for their own interests. Paul never says, and Jesus never says, to not take care of yourself or to, to abandon all, all self-care. <laughs> he doesn't say that. 
But what he does say is, if you are not thinking of others' interests, if you are not um, looking out for them, if you are not counting them more significant than yourselves, more significant in the sense that we need to put their interests above ours, it's a you-first attitude. It's an after-you. It's a, you eat first. Uh, Let me make sure your needs are met before mine are met. That's the attitude that Paul wants us to have. That's the way he wants us to think, excuse me, to think the same about others. How are we to do that? That's the big question. Well, we're going to look at this in great detail next week. But here's the answer. Because we need to hear it today. We need to know. We need to know how in the world we can live like that. How can we think the same uh, in the midst of all of our diversity? How can we love others the same? Be in that kind of community with others? How can we have that kind of a humble attitude? Verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Not empty glory, not vain conceit, but he himself emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being found in the likeness of men, or excuse me, by, and, and by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. That is what Jesus did for us. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is how Jesus lived. That is, uh, if there's anyone who demonstrated gospel living, it's Jesus. If there's anybody who ever demonstrated this do-nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, It's not just Paul. Paul holds himself up and says, this is what I'm trying to do. This is how I'm trying to live in humility, counting others more significant than yourselves. But but Paul's point is not to say all of these things and say, so that's how I am. He said, no, look to Christ. This is how Christ is. Christ did nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Christ, in humility, counted others more significant than himself. Christ looked out not for his own interests, but for the interests of others, but also to the interests of others. Because his interest was in fulfilling his joy. That's what Jesus was all about. For the joy that was set before him, the writer of Hebrews says in, his, in the 12th chapter, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, mm. and endured the suffering, the obedience to the point of death for us. Folks, there's only one person who has fulfilled this. There's only one person who can perfectly apply this passage to his life. And that was Jesus. But the good news for us is that he enables us by his 
power by the Spirit that He paid for, for us, that we can live in this way. What do we need to do? How do we need to change the way we're thinking about God? Uh, Paul said that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. He wants our understanding to increase so that we can think the same about God. That means uh, God wants us to read His Word and study it and know it and meditate on it. He wants us to be in it. Every part of His Word is precious. He wants us to know it and to, and to strive in it. He wants us to think the same about community and Jesus enables us to do that. And that means we've got to put some feet and some hands to our belief. And if we believe that God is who He is, and if we believe that God has made us new creations, we have to also accept that He has made us into one community. We are already, we looked at this, we saw this point made very, very uh, powerfully by Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together as he encourages the church to, you are already a community. You are already one body because that's how Jesus made you when you came to faith in Christ. So now we need to act like it. By the power of God, by Christ in us, by the Spirit in us, we can live and act like that. And we can put one another's needs above our own because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. That's awesome. That's powerful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for making us your own. Thank you for giving us the, the grace of the gospel uh, the new life that we have in you, the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you for the encouragement of Christ that we have in Christ. The encouragement, or the fellowship, and the excuse me, the comfort uh, that we have in your love for us, Father, and the participation, the the koinonia, the fellowship in the Spirit that we have, Father. We love you. We are so grateful for what you have given us. In Christ, we ask that you will uh, make that abound more and more in our hearts, and that we will truly be able to 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 enjoy and 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 rejoice in thinking the same for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, for your glory, God, and for our joy. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.